Back in 19, ni- mid-1990s, maybe late 1990s, I bought my first personal computer. It, it's not like anything like what we have now, our, our personal computers now. I actually bought this computer uh, with choir funds. I was a choir director at Edison Junior High. Uh, and in fact, there's a, maybe a couple of people here that were my students. Ricky was my student over here. Uh, Cammie's mom, uh, Magali, was my student back then. So it's been, it's been a few years, and they were in junior high. And around those years, um, the personal computers were just coming out, and I decided, you know what, it's, I probably should learn how to do this, because back then we did everything by hand on paper, or you know, programs would be typed. And, and uh, so you know, I, I, what happened is that the band director had a computer. He was really knowledgeable. He was way ahead of the curve, so he wanted to buy a, a faster computer, so he sold me his band computer. He sold it to the choir, so that he says, you can use this for database, to keep track of the, of the kids' information, students' information, and especially I wanted to use it to organize my choir music library, you know, the database of library, um, you know, pieces, uh, choir pieces, and he says, you got some games, so I said, okay, I don't know a thing about it, you're going to have to teach me. So uh, one morning I got to school, and he had been there earlier, he had set it up, then he came in later in the day, he says, here's how you do this, you know, and... and um, and so he, he kind of gave me a really quick uh, tutorial, and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to really study this. I, I really didn't understand a lot. And he says, make sure, make sure that before you leave, you turn it off. And this was one of those computers. Some of you won't know what I'm talking about. This is one of those computers. You had to park the drive. You couldn't just turn it off. You had to park the hard drive first, which meant you had to, you know, we had to raise it from its position uh, so it wouldn't get scratched and stuff. So you had to go through a series of, of keystrokes to do all that. I didn't remember how to do that. So anyway, so I had it there and, and, and started teaching. And, and one of the students came in. He was kind of a nerdy kid, a uh, real good kid. I liked him a lot, a lot. But he knew, you know, he knew, he knew about technology back then. You know. And uh, his name was Chris, Chris Thomas. So he came in to my office and says, oh, cool, you got a computer. And I said, yeah, you know, this is the end of the day. This is after school now. He came in and he says, do you mind if I look at it? No, go ahead. You know, I'm looking over his shoulder. What is he doing? You know, he played some games and I said, hey, by the way, I'm getting ready to leave. Go ahead and, and, and shut it down when you're done, you know, because I didn't know how to do it. Okay, you know, so I'm watching him and how he shut it down. Okay, I got it now. So he, he taught me without even knowing, you know, but that was my first computer and it was, it was, this is pre-Windows. How many of you remember pre-Windows? Anybody? DOS. Remember DOS? Yeah, DOS. Uh, disk operating system. It was called the disk operating system. And so it wasn't Windows, and, and so you had to have a certain, not, not code, but instructions, directions. And if you're going to, you know, write, uh, I don't know, like maybe type up a newsletter, then you'd have to type up different directions. It looks like code, you know, and it had to be just right. Uh, so when, when Windows came out, and even, you know, before Windows, I guess, but along that time, uh, this new technology came out that allowed uh, people like artists, graphic designers who were used to doing their work on DOS-based computers. Uh, in the past, they would design this eye-catching poster, but they wouldn't see the poster on their screen. All you would see is uh, instructions, the code, as it were. Um, you know, assign certain attributes to elements and types of text, and you have to print the file to see what it looks like. You couldn't see it on the screen. 
But this new technology came along and it was called WYSIWYG. WYSIWYG. And it stands for what you see is what you get. And really for the first time, you could actually see on the screen what was going to be printed out. I mean, this right now we're so used to it, right? We're, we're, I mean, like, what do you mean? Hasn't it always been the case? No. This technology revolutionized the, the desktop publishing industry. It made experts of all of us, or most of us, or most of them, overnight. Uh, maybe not experts, but, you know, we got pretty good at it. But it was this interface, what you see is what you get, WYSIWYG, that made it possible for anybody, even amateurs, to prepare brochures and posters, church bulletins, uh, you know, all kinds of things, because you could actually see on the screen what that document was going to look like after it was printed, when it was printed. So it took out a lot of the, of the guesswork. Now, we're at a stage now, far, this is the, the 90s, right? So we're in a stage now so far removed and so much more advanced that we expect precision, uh, precision with uh, everything that we print, everything that we view through our cameras, our cameras with our cell phones are so sophisticated now. You can do amazing things with them. But uh, if you could just remember what things used to look like just a few years ago, we didn't have these fancy cameras on our phones. You know, we had the, remember the Instamatic cameras? And if you go far back enough, you remember the cameras that you had to look down like this and you're like, okay, everybody move. You know, the, the screen was down here. But, you know, the, the thing is that now we see things so clearly and it really makes a difference. There's a sense, there's a real sense as I think about this phrase, WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get, that uh, what we see as we live our lives every day really is what we get. What we see is what we get. What we see determines the kind of life we're going to live. What you see determines the quality of life that you're going to experience. What you see determines what your life becomes. How many of you remember the Warshock test? Warshock with the ink block. Remember the ink block test? Uh, the Warshock test is a test that's based on ink block images where a psychologist will ask a person to look at this ink block and tell them what they see. Right? It's like, oh, I see a tree or I see a butterfly. I see a pizza. You know, if you're really hungry. And what the subject sees it, what the subject sees tells the psychologist uh, something about the subject's personality, something about their motivations, maybe even something about their emotional condition. And since different people see different things in the ink and the blots, ink blots, what you see says something about who you are. And I think that the same can be said uh, for the way that we look at our lives, the way we look at events that are happening in our lives today. I think like the Warshock test, what you see in yourself, what you see in your past, what you see in your future and your purpose, what you see in your reason for living, all these things offer insight into the type of person that you are and the person that you are becoming. And for this reason, what you see eventually is what you're going to get. So we're starting this new series, and it's going to be a brief three-part series called WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And today we're going to talk about, about what we see, what you see is what you get. Next week we're going to talk about what you say is what you get. 
And then we'll finish the third week of this series talking about what you sow is what you get. So what you see is what you get. What you say is what you get. What you sow is what you get. But speaking about uh, seeing things throughout the Bible, we come across countless uh, references to having our eyes opened or seeing through the eyes of faith. This is what this series is going to be about, living a, a faith-filled life by the way we see things, by the way we speak, and by the things that we sow in our lives. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, and 23. He said, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is telling us here, in effect, what you see is what you'll get. He was talking about WYSIWYG way before there was such a thing in the publishing industry. Because he's telling us, if you, if you see accurately everything that God is doing in your life, if you see accurately what is going on in the world around you, your life will be filled with light. But if you can't see the light, if you can't see what God is doing in your life, if you can't see what God is doing in the world, then your life is going to be filled with darkness. And, and that means ultimately despair. So what you see, your perspective, determines what your life becomes. So with this, is my, with this in mind, I want to ask you to consider three questions about what you see in relation to God's presence in your life, these questions are like a spiritual ink block test. You know, what you see will tell you what you need to know about yourself and, and hopefully lead you in the direction of the changes you need to make. So here's the first question that we're going to ask. What do you see in the past? What do you see in the past? Another way to say this is, what do you remember? Because when we look to the past, there are things that we remember. Now, we all have... This one thing in common, if we were asked to make a list of, of things in, in, our, in our past, of bad things in our past, we could come up with it. If, if I asked you to make a list of 10 bad things in your past, you'd probably say, only 10? Because we have plenty, right? We can, we can make a list of mistakes that we've made, or uh, maybe make a list of mistakes that our parents made in, in raising us, or maybe mistakes we made as parents a time when we were deceived by somebody or a time that we did something that we should not have done. Uh, we can easily recall our failures, our blunders, you know, acts, even acts of rebellion. So we could easily think of 10 negative things from the past. And if I were to ask you, give me a list of 10 positive things, 10 good things that you, you have experienced in your past, in your lifetime, then you would think, yeah, I mean, successful moments at work. A promotion, victories, blessings, the birth of a child, uh, just joyful events. Making uh, such a list would be easy as well. And both lists would be accurate. These are bad things that happen. These are good things that happen. So the question is, which list will you review more, most often? Which list do you review most often? I mean, which events in your life do you make it a point to remember? Which events in your past will dominate your thinking today and lead you into tomorrow? Do you focus on just the negative, even though there's just as many 
perhaps more positive. Who is, for you NBA fans, National Basketball Association, who is the best basketball player in the history of the NBA? Uh, most people will say Michael Jordan, right? Uh, there's another guy. David Robinson, my wife loves David Robinson. He's a great guy. Got to meet him one day. Great guy. But it, it, it's going to go down to Michael Jordan or, or LeBron James. I'm, I, I go in the Jordan camp. So let me tell you Michael Jordan's story, even though it's not the, the most flattering uh, of the stories. You know, he's, like I said, considered by many people, maybe even most people, the greatest basketball player uh, of all time. One of a kind talent. So um, it's not surprising that, that at the pinnacle of his career, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's been a few years now. Um, but what is surprising to me anyway, and I went back and looked at some videos, read some stories about this event, is that when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he chose to draw attention to many of the slights that he had experienced from people over the years. In the speech, this is a Hall of Fame speech, where he's being honored, inducted into the Hall of Fame. He called out his high school coach because he didn't, when he was a sophomore, Jordan's a sophomore, because he didn't move him up to the varsity. He didn't make the varsity team. He wasn't, the stories, people say he was cut. He wasn't cut, he just didn't make the varsity team as a sophomore. He called him out. He even invited to the ceremony, he invited one of the players that did make that team that year, just so he could rub it in his face that I'm now in the Hall of Fame. And I didn't even make the team that you made, but I'm now in the Hall of Fame. He also made it a point to tell the audience that he specifically did not invite the former general manager of the Chicago Bulls in retaliation for uh, past the fans, some conflict there was between this man and Michael Jordan. And so, you know, he may have intended this to be an inspiring speech. And as I kind of looked this up this, this week, I uh, went back and read some stories. And there were some people that said, yeah, it was a great speech. And yeah, I know you think it was bad, but it really was good. It really shows the greatness of Michael Jordan. Uh, maybe so. But I don't know. I, I just thought it was, it was revealing. Amazing that one of the greatest athletes of all time can, can look to the past with such anger and resentment. Now, we know people like this. We know people who, I've known people who could just, they, they can sully any memory with a negative thought. If I, were, if I were to go to them and say, hey, remember when we played baseball together? That was the great years. Oh yeah, I remember you struck out with the bases loaded that one time. Really? Really, that's all you remember? I know, maybe we all have a tendency to be this way to, to a certain extent. We tend to focus on our past failures and our disappointments that we focus on how other people let us down not and that would be okay we did it in order to learn or to to grow to find a way to do it better next time but if we do it to bask in our bitterness or uh, as I said to you recently to to take refuge in resentment because when 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 you when you're resentful and you express that it kind of feels good when you cut somebody down you know, to feed your pride, it, you know, you, that, that's kind of a moment of refuge. It kind of feels good. And so we seek those moments sometimes because it, it kind of, it, it strokes our ego. We relive those hurts, the pain that somebody 
caused us, or it's sometimes even the pain that we cause. We know, like, man, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? And, uh, and, and eventually, if we do that too much, it's like a wound that will never heal. When you look at the past and all you see is resentment and regret, then your life is going to be filled with darkness. Do you know how God wants you to see your past? God wants you to see your past through eyes of mercy, through God's eyes of mercy, through eyes or eyes of God's mercy, through eyes of grace. I mean, yeah, we all have a past to deal with, but it's also true. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. He said, the old has gone. The new is here. Now, do you have regrets? I do. Yeah. Who doesn't? But remember, instead, when you think about things you've done, that you've been forgiven, that there is forgiveness available. If you haven't sought forgiveness for things in the past, seek forgiveness. And, and, and remember that not only is there forgiveness, but God has forgotten our sins, uh, and He'll remember them no more. He has this capacity that we don't to do that. So when you look at the past, don't just remember something painful, something that troubles you today. And don't just, if you think about it, don't just dwell on those things. But see the past through eyes of grace to know that you've been forgiven and you can forgive others as well. I love what David said in Psalm 77, 11. Excuse me, 77, 11. He said, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. So it's been a long time and he's still remembering. He's still recalling those things. You know, when I was growing up, we, uh, our services we were such that were structured that we had a time of testimonies where people would stand up and, I want to thank God for this. You know, God saved me or God healed me. And, and sometimes men or women would stand up and would talk about, yeah, back in 1936, the Lord saved me. You know, and it means something that they're still remembering what God has done in their lives, even though it had been so long ago, so long ago. So when you choose to remember or what you choose to remember about the past determines your outlook today. So remember the past in an empowering way. Here's the second question I want us to consider. What do you see in the future? What do you see in the future? Another way to say this is what do you expect? What are you expecting? Some people look ahead and all they can say is, I see trouble. I see trouble coming. They see nothing but impending doom. They see nothing but failure. They say things like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right? It's like, I know it's, I know it's going to happen. Others, on the other hand, see something different when they look ahead. Sure, they may see the challenges that lie before them, but they also see the possibility of victory. They see the challenges, but they also see and, and maybe are able to feel that feeling of victory, of overcoming that challenge. You know, when I, when I overcome this challenge, I'm going to feel so good. It's going to be so good. They see themselves as having a fighting chance to do well in life. Winston Churchill is one of the most well-known of the UK's prime ministers. He's remembered for a lot of things, best of all probably for just successfully leading Britain through World War II. But he's famous for giving very inspiring speeches. And he's famous for his refusal to give in, even when things were going badly. I mean, some people consider him not just the greatest prime minister, but the greatest Britain of all time. And, and uh, in, in 
in one of the, his, his speeches, one of the, the things that he said was this, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. See, that's the difference. So the question is, what do you see? What do you see? What do you believe about tomorrow? You can call it optimism, or you can call it hope, but the fact is that those who see tomorrow in terms of light have a greater strength than those that see tomorrow in terms of darkness. There are a lot of prophets of doom in the political realm, in the church realm. I hear people talk, oh, it's, it's just going to get worse and the economy is getting terrible and by the end of the year this is going to happen. They're going to take our rights away and, and it's just all darkness, all doom. Right? And, and we can focus on that. We can focus on, on, on those things. Or we can say, you know what? God has everything under control. God is still on the throne. We can see tomorrow in terms of light. Did you know that you can learn to choose hope? Yeah, the Bible tells us, the Bible calls this faith. But psychologists have also confirmed it in many undocumented, or not undocumented, but documented studies on optimism. They call it resilience, optimism. And I, I looked up uh, one, uh, just Googled and found uh, one from the... Uh, Clinical Psychology Review Journal. Uh, they're out there just, you know, confirmation, documented cases that you can choose to be hopeful. And it comes down to, do, to what you choose to think, which is why the Bible says, why Paul said in his letter to the Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when you think of the future... Choose hope. Choose to believe what God says rather than what your feelings may tell you. And I'm not saying ignore reality, pretend, pretend that things, the bad things that are happening aren't, that are happening aren't really happening. No, uh, you know, we, it's not really faith unless we see the bad things that are happening. And yet we're able to overcome that with, with a, a feeling of faith in God, trust, and in God, hope, optimism. You can view the future with a sense of hope, even when you're going through difficult times, even, even uh, while knowing that more difficult times are, are coming up. Because we know that God is good. God is faithful. Uh, in Romans 8.18, Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, he... And we talked, I talked about this recently, but Paul was, uh, was a man who suffered greatly for preaching the faith. He went through things that we, we couldn't go through half of what he went through. And yet he says, look, this present suffering doesn't compare with the glory that's up ahead, with the revelation of glory that's up ahead. And so what do you see in the, in the future? Uh, look, uh, how do you see the future? Look ahead with hope, with optimism, with trust. In God, And then let's go to the third question here. The question is, what do you see at this moment? What do you see now? Another way to say this is, what are you focused on today? What are you focused on today? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow 
will worry about itself. Then he said something very interesting. He said, each day has enough trouble of its own. What does that mean? That doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, first of all, I think he's telling us, look, there are no uh, carefree days this side of heaven, or maybe a better word to say it is there are no responsibility-free days this side of heaven. Every day comes uh, to us with a task in place, with a set of obligations to fulfill. Yeah, I think kids call this adulting. <laughs> I don't like adulting. Uh, every day comes with a task in place, something that we've got to do, something that, that we've got to fulfill. It's something that's got to get done today, right? It's just, it's just got to get done. Now, I'm not referring exclusively to your to-do list, although that could be part of it. But I think today's set of obligations includes the idea that this is the kind of person that I must strive to become now. We're all growing. We're all learning. Right? We're, we're growing. And so I think we need to include in, in our idea of what needs to get done is today I need to grow. Today I need to walk in God's presence. Today I need to show my family that I love them. I, I need to, today I need to be kind to people, even people who are rude to me. Today I need to pray for, for my uh, opponents. You know, I don't want to say enemies. I don't know that, that you have enemies. I don't. I don't think I do, except Satan. And I'm not going to pray for him. Uh, but today I need to pray for people who have wronged me. Today I'm going to spend time in God's Word. Today I'm going to, I'm going to seek to be godly. Just seek to make godly decisions, have godly thoughts. I will do, I'm, I'm going to do my job, whatever job you have. Today you can say, I'm going to do my job with excellence. I'm going to go the extra mile. And I think Jesus is saying that we're to focus on that which needs to be done today, rather than fretting about what may or may not happen tomorrow. You know, a common theme for people who are in recovery, recovery from, uh, you know, addiction, substance abuse, or recovery from codependency, whatever it might be. A common theme is live one day at a time, right? Live one day at a time. We heard it so much that it becomes something of a cliche. I think it's worth cliching, actually. I think that uh, not all cliches are worth cliching, but I think that one is worth cliching because it's a, a powerful concept that a lot of times we don't really consider. What are we looking at today? What are you looking at today? Well, the correct answer would be, look, today I'm looking at today. Today I'm looking at today. I'm, I'm going to do today what I need to do today to successfully navigate today so I can be ready for tomorrow. Then tomorrow I'll do the same thing. What does God say about today? We sang that our first song this morning was based on Psalm 18. I'm sorry, Psalm 118, verse 24. This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today is a day. Today is a day that the Lord has made. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, In the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is a day of salvation. You know, I've always thought of this verse as uh, meaning that today is a day that you should ask Jesus to come into your heart. Today is a day you should surrender your life to Jesus. You know, today is a day of salvation. This is a time of 
God's favor. Now is a day of salvation. I think it, it certainly means that. But I think it means a lot more than that. I think it means that this is a day for us to experience the fullness of God's favor. Now is the time of God's favor. This is a time for us to, exp- to experience the fullness of God's presence and God's power in your life. The fullness of salvation. Because salvation is not just saying a prayer and saying, okay, I'm saved now, I'm going to heaven. But salvation is life change. Salvation is grace that not just forgives our sin, but grace that empowers us. And so experience the fullness of salvation, all of God's favor, all of God's power for your life. Experience it today. This is the time. This is the time. Don't put it off. I mean, if you're hoping that someday, somewhere down the line, God is going to show up, and He's going to fill you with His power. I want you to know that you don't have to wait anymore. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is a day of salvation. Today you can begin to live the life that He wants you to live. And today you can experience God's power for your life. Now does that mean that all the annoying circumstances in your life are going to be gone by sundown today? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that We can begin to tackle all the challenges that today brings, knowing that God is with us to give us His grace, His empowering grace. He's with us to strengthen us. He's with us to give us wisdom for the decisions we must make. So I just want to finish with this. You know, now more than ever, we need to be people of perspective who can see reality as God sees it. Who, when we look at the past, we don't just see heartbreak disappointment, hurt, despair. And and I'm not saying, again, as I said a few moments ago, don't ever acknowledge that, ignore it. No, I mean, we we can acknowledge that things have been painful, but we can also see mercy. We can also see grace and forgiveness. We can see God's hand at work in your life, even when you weren't aware of it. God was there. So remember the past through the perspective of mercy. And when we look at the future, we may see nothing but uncertainty. Things are going to get worse and we're fearful of what lies ahead. But let me tell you that God sees your future as something bright. You know, when I read the scriptures and I I see what God says about my future, I think some of the things I'm hearing from some of these, you know, uh, TV evangelists and prophets don't line up with what God is telling me about the future. They're telling me things are going to get worse and the economy is going to get worse. And it might, you know, I mean... Jesus said in the last days that, you know, that uh, things would get worse. In that in the last days, men's hearts would fail them because of the fear. But I, I, we see what we, what we think we see. But God sees things that we cannot see. So as we trust in God, He can give us the ability to see the future with the perspective of promise, of God's promises. And when we look at today, we may see nothing but chaos, right? Our country is in such division, disorder, disarray. We might be overwhelmed. We might be overcome with dread. But what God sees, when He sees today, He sees an opportunity to fill you today with His presence, to experience His power, and for you to celebrate the day that He has made. Many times over the years when I get up, uh, start my day, I'll start my day with that thought. Especially on Mondays when it's harder, I think, okay, this is a day the Lord has made. I am going to rejoice and be glad in it. So look at today through the perspective of God's presence. 
So Jesus said, the eye is a lamp of the body. When your eyes are good, that is when you see correctly, your life is filled with light. And this is the life that God wants you to have. So there's a WYSIWYG principle in our lives. What you see is what you get. Let's strive to see this life as God sees it. Let's live this day as God has promised that we can live it. Turn to God. Let's turn to God. Whatever your past is like, whatever you're going through now, or whatever lies ahead of you that you're dreading, what you see is what you get. Let God give you the right perspective. I'm going to invite you to bow for prayer. As we turn our attention now to responding to God's word today, as we turn our attention to surrendering to God's ways today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we have your word to speak to us. Lord, it's, uh, it's easy after, you know, when we lived in this world for many years or maybe not even many years for us to be tempted to see things the way that people that don't know you see things. We might be even led astray by others whose lives are negative, whose words are negative, whose perspective is skewed. We find ourselves looking at life the same way. And it leads to darkness in our souls. Father, I, I ask that you would help us to look at life with the right perspective, with the right viewpoint, with a correct viewpoint, with a Christian worldview, with a biblical worldview, with a Jesus worldview. I pray for right now for those people who maybe, Lord, have a, they've had a difficult past and they're hurting, they're in pain, they're having a hard time forgiving someone who hurt them. And the, the hurt was real, God, the hurt was real. I pray that you would help them to find uh, peace and, and forgiveness if there is something that they themselves need forgiveness for. And to see your mercy and your grace in their lives. Or maybe somebody's looking at the past thinking, man, I just messed up my life. I made so many mistakes, so many wrong decisions. It hurt my family, it hurt my kids, and I'm still paying for it. God, just remind us how you can turn bad things into good. How you can redeem our mistakes. You can redeem our mistakes and make them into something help us to look into the future with hope knowing dear God that soon, soon you're going to return for your church we know that you're in control dear God so we don't have to live in fear and despair we don't have to speak words of despair and anger no God because you're in control we turn to you right now God we look to you right now Father Give me your vision to see things as you do. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name.